Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Good morning. This is Keith Williams with the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 87, marching our way to episode 100. Hey, thank you for tuning in. I am your host. I love doing this because every week we have a guest who has a story to tell, and every story is as unique as their fingerprint. Every week we feature professionals in the skill trades, business owners, educators, influencers, people giving real-world advice. We don't run any ads on the podcast, so all we ask is that you leave a five-star ranking and write a review if you found value. It's easy and it takes less than five minutes and it doesn't cost you anything. Thank you again for tuning in. So today we're going to talk about careers in construction and an organization that is helping people with no experience get into the profession. You don't want to miss this. It's a great episode. Today's guest grew up in San Diego, California, a city I really love. Great weather. He is the founder and executive director of Uncommon Construction. He attended UC Davis for about two and a half years. He had a bit of a six-year gap and then finished his BA at Tulane University. He started his career in construction in Arena, Nevada. And during his free time, he enjoyed building things, and spending time with his newborn daughter. Please welcome Aaron Fruman to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Aaron, how are you this morning? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, Keith. It's good to be here. Excellent. My pleasure. My pleasure. Newborn. How are you surviving, yeah. my friend? <laughs> how are you surviving? I'm, we're doing it. We're doing it. She's sleeping okay. The good news is she's like at that phase where she just smiles at you all the time. So it's like, that's kind of a good, that's a good motivator. So if, you know, that's what you're waking up to when she comes out of a nap, that's a pretty good yep. deal. You know, it's about making adjustments and that's what life is all about. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, you know, I, I've got to ask you something. I know we talked before and something you were pretty excited about was your collaboration with Wolverine Boots. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, we've been friends. First of all, I'm like super pumped about it. So happy to talk, chat about it. It's and everyone should get out to wolverine.com slash UCC, pick up a pair of these boots to support the next generation of skilled leaders. We've known Wolverine since around 2017. And we'll talk about our program, but they've been supporters of what we do with young people through our high school apprenticeship program. And over the last year, we collaborated together on a custom collaboration edition Wolverine Boots Uncommon Construction work boot that are for sale online and then locally here in New Orleans. And it's, you know, designed for the next generation of skilled leaders by the next generation of skilled leaders. And $30 from each pair of work boots is donated back to our program, to our high school pro apprenticeship program. It's part of a national conversation we're trying to elevate around the need for skilled workers, for leaders in our industry, promoting a younger and more diverse workforce. So thanks. For, I appreciate the opportunity to plug. This is like my version of a book deal, right? Coming on a podcast and talking about a steel toe boot collaborations. Pretty cool. But we're, we're just super pumped about it. And I think I have one. Here we go. So it's pretty awesome. Got our logo on it. Nice orange sole, orange on the inside. And it comes with a free pair of branded socks, too. They so, look comfortable. Uh, super comfortable. Yeah, I-90 EPX Carbon Max Steel Toe job site boot. It's pretty awesome. And, and I'll say, if you're not seeing it, it does look pretty fashionable. It looks kind of like a, what's a brand like Timberland's? And they make some stylish yeah. boots, so it's it's a nice look, folks. 
Wolverine is my is definitely my preferred brand. I mean, I've been in the industry for 10, 15 plus years. Um, I've tried every boot that's out there from, you know, the 15 to $20 pair to the $200 pair. And Wolverine is is a really, really awesome one that I've, I've chosen with. So it's like extra sweet for me as a trade person that we get to have this awesome relationship with a brand like Wolverine and that it's, we've got our signature orange mixed in with their branding and that we're able to kind of work shoulder to shoulder building the next generation of skilled leaders is awesome. Definitely. And I love the work that you do. And that's why you guys are on, that's why you're on this podcast. Cause I respect people that want to give our young people opportunities to make a better living and to close the skills gap and get more young people in the trades because there's a big need for that. Now we're going to go back on a trip on memory lane. Think back to when you were in high school. What is it you wanted to become? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I didn't know. It was kind of like I had, you know, a different idea every week, right? You know, there's period like elementary, junior high, my dad's a doctor. So I thought I was going to be a doctor. I never really wanted to growing up, but then I ended up, my mom was a teacher. I was a teacher for a couple years along my path. You know, there was a time when I thought I'd be a lawyer. There was, you know, all kinds of different things. And I kind of had the benefit. I had the privilege of being able to explore what was out there based on who I was surrounded by and who the role models in my world were. Problem was, at the time, I didn't see a lot of examples of people that I knew working in the trades or as real estate developers or, you know, doing work that was you know, blue collar, so to speak, or or hands on in some way, it was a lot of, you know, kind of desks. And that kind of was what I was presented with growing up. So you know, when it was time for me to graduate from high school and go on to the next thing, it was sort of a like, well, I guess I'll go to college, that seems to be what everybody's doing. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into that. Um, so I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise when I dropped out in the middle of my third year, and then later found myself falling into construction and found this to be a whole lot more interesting and rewarding and and unique the classroom didn't work for me right and so I'm a lot more kind of I get sparked in the way that our young people do a little bit more in these kind of real world environments how did you get into construction like how were you were you introduced to it how did you find your way into construction yeah long story short I needed a job like I needed to work I came to New Orleans as a Red Cross volunteer I dropped out of college and responded to Hurricane Katrina as a Red Cross volunteer After that, it was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's not going back to college. I want to go get a taste of a little bit of the world that's out there and see what my role in it could be. And turns out if you don't have a job, you know, if you're not making money, you're spending money. So I found myself in Reno, Nevada, needing to work while I was trying to figure out what my next steps were going to be. And I went into a day labor company out there. You know, you show up in the morning, put your name on a list and they put you out to work if the job's available. And I worked out of a day labor company in Reno, Nevada for seven, eight months, working on all kinds of different jobs. But that was my first taste of working on a construction site. Obviously, like, no real responsibilities at that time for me. Once, you know, I had kind of a leg up, I had some advantage, you know, every advantage that the country could have afforded me. I'm an able-bodied, cisgender, white male with a bank account, savings account, and a car from an upper middle class family. And so I had a little bit of an advantage in that environment. You know, once construction company that I was placed with for the day saw that I knew how to read a tape measure and I could do fraction math in my head and I had communication skills or they could line me out on something, it came easier to get invited back for another day. But I just saw a lot of different jobs, a lot of different places and got a lot of exposure. And I loved it. It was awesome. You know, I fell in love with the mental and physical rigor of it. But I don't know that I would have been able to to experience it in as positive a way if I didn't have 
that safety net if it didn't feel like a fun adventure for me. Definitely. Talk about some of those skill sets. So you're saying that the construction, you know, having the ability to do fractions and do math because there's accuracy when you're, and a lot of people don't realize that. So if you could just kind of emphasize that because people don't really think about it. Yeah. Construction. Yeah, man. I mean, there's more math reading, science, social skills in a day on a job site than most professions experience all year. There's engineering skills, there's interpersonal communication, there's time management. All these soft skills that are applicable everywhere are like particularly relevant on a construction site and amongst people who work on those job sites and around those job sites. Spirit of collaboration and all kinds of stuff. But some of those hard skills, those technical skills, spatial awareness, you know, thinking about, yeah, being able to do fraction math in my head and and intuitively knowing you know, I never worked in construction, but I'd seen tape measures before. The, the numbers made sense. The fractions made sense. I could change denominators on fractions in my head. So I could, I knew that a half is the same as four eighths. And so if four eighths, if it's one tick before a half, it was three eighths, like those things with automaticity, because construction is sometimes, you know, given as a consolation prize, or it's sort of looked at in a negative light, you know, they were in some ways rare amongst the folks who were working out of a, out of a day labor company or, or getting started the way that I was, or at least at my age, right, getting started in the industry. Were there people more older, would you say, when you said your age? Yeah, I mean, I was the youngest, I was the youngest person working out of the day labor company. So and when I got out to the job site, you know, I was 21 years old, I had, you know, at least five years younger than everybody else who was there. And, you know, there just aren't, there weren't other folks who were getting started, at least getting started in that way. Maybe they were studying project management or going to architecture school or whatever, but but at least not where I could see is them. Is that changing so now? So having those skills, was that? that? Change? Sorry to cut you off, but I was just curious, is that changing now so that young people who are listening to this know that you don't have to be 26 to start in construction? Yeah. I mean, the, the demands for young people is insane. Right. So I think we're the industry is evolving that way where you're seeing more young people who are going into it and you'll be surrounded by more young people in the trades. But it's a real problem. Right. You know, the average age, I'll get it wrong, but the average age of a construction worker today is like in their 40s or 50s. And so, you know, they're aging out and we don't have an incoming workforce. So the opportunity is there. It's a supply and demand curve. Right. For labor. So for young people who are thinking about going into the industry or not, you know, it's sort of your market as the incoming workforce. You, you can, you know, you have a lot of leverage as a young person going into the trades because these companies need you and they need to keep you. So, you know, we're seeing a little bit of changes there in terms of like what it actually looks like on a job site in terms of like age and so on. Are we seeing more young people choose the trades? But, you know, it's hard because what kids are being told is being an op- is an option, either by their parents, by their schools, by society in general, what we hold up as prestigious. (laughs) Um, You know, construction's not always at the top of the list. And we sort of overlook that everything that we appreciate about living in a modern society comes back to the built environment and the people who build it. You know, we like that our toilets flush. Thank a plumber, right? We like that our buildings have roofs and air conditioning. Thank a framer and an HVAC contractor. You know, we got to get back to a more widely appreciated value system of the people who work in, in the trades or around the trades. And I think all those things have to happen at the same time if we're going to solve solve the skills gap, solve the workforce shortage in this industry. So I think it's, it's on young people to take advantage of that opportunity. And it's on the industry to create an environment that's welcoming and communicates 
the value proposition to young people who are thinking about careers in the trades. Yeah. I'm going to touch on something that sometimes might be a little delicate for some people, but, you know, and, and it's something that I noticed that you guys seem to be addressing is there is a lack of diversity in the skill trades. Me as an outsider, just observing and doing interviews, I mean, I noticed it. I mean, it's hard not to. And then when you do the research, the numbers are there. You know, when you look at the number of women in the skill trades, it's it's less than 10%, right? And so I like the fact that your organization addresses that. That also will help to get more people into the skill trades. And you learn more from, look, I've worked in diverse work environments. And it works because you're learning from other people who you may not have never interacted with you're going to have to at some point in this world. Nobody just lives in, in isolation with a monod with just one type of people, one group of people. You just learn so much more. So I like the fact that you guys are doing that. I think that you can learn from older workers and older workers can learn from younger workers. And the older workers need to pass that knowledge on to the younger workers as they get out of the industry. So there's a need for... Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to go in this conversation. I mean, like I'm not representative of the diverse change that we need to see in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've benefited from being in spaces in the industry that were diverse and more inclusive than the status quo that's out there. Sure. And you're totally right. You know, like when we are surrounded by people who are different from us, when we're, we get that exposure to different ideas, different backgrounds, different mindsets, we all come out better on the other side. And the industry does have an inclusivity problem. We have entrenched mindsets. We have, you know, biased viewpoints and a lot of negative attitudes that are perpetuated in there, right? We need to challenge that. Definitely. Because it's an existential crisis for the industry if it's going to stay in those trenches, right? You know, they're not going to solve it just by getting people who have, you know, similar ideas. What we do at Uncommon, you know, we host an apprenticeship program for high school students where we take young people here in New Orleans from different schools around the city. They get paid as W-2 employees above minimum wage. They earn internship credit at their school for the experience, they make the hours uh, for building a house together as part of a team. And then any revenue we make from the house is used to match their paychecks with a scholarship, nice. right? When we think about our cohort of apprentices, you know, there's a diverse by design component here. We're taking kids from different schools around the city. So have a different day-to-day -day experience. Some of them go to alternative high schools. Some of them go to, you know, what might look like a traditional school in New Orleans, if we have those. And they're diverse by age, by, you know, they just have to be 16 and up and enrolled in high school, by gender, gender identity, or sexual orientation, career ambition, academic proficiency, neighborhood that they live in, in the city. These things, especially at the high school age, really matter. And there are interesting ways to expose young people to new ideas to make it so that their automatic thinking is around working with different people people who might be different from them, then they can sort of shed those identities, bring their true selves to the job site and develop an appreciation for people who are different than they are because they're working on things that are hard. They're problem solving together. They're overcoming challenges together. They're accomplishing together. They're building something that's going to last for their whole lives. You know, a house isn't going anywhere, right? And and so they, they have that really unique thing that binds them. That's something that's that's true in construction. You I drive around, I'm like, I built that, I built that. You know, the agriculture inspection station on Interstate 80, I put my hands on that um, when I was a laborer. And that's there, right? Yes. You know what it looks like. Yeah. And I don't live anywhere close to it. So, you know, binding them together across lines of difference through this rigorous experience is something that's really awesome. And to your point, right? Like, if we can get more of that in the industry as it exists out there. Mm -hmm. Companies, you know, that's a change that we want to inspire and that we want to continue to see permeate 
the landscape that we definitely want. and i would imagine just on a work site for example you might have someone from a different culture who is who interacts a certain way there's certain norms there's certain behaviors that might be offensive to them and if you're not familiar with that culture you could be offending them and i think that when you're exposed to those different cultures and you work around folks who are different than you you don't learn you don't learn how to work with people because no matter what you're doing you have to learn how to work with people that yeah, man. yeah, that's, that's, I mean, a, that's I, you know, a no-brainer. So, some of the most racist and hate-filled people I've ever met, mm-hmm. I've met them on a job site. Yes, and some of the most generous and welcoming people I've ever met, I've met them on a job site. Yes, sometimes that's been the same person, but it was only directed at me because I shared something in common wow. with them. Wow, right? Yes, and you know, some of my shame is that I carry is not having confronted that early in my career. Mm not having the confidence or the words to be able to confront that. And that's a real, you know, that's something that I live with and informs the impact that I try and have on the industry today for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of those guys, you know, that I worked with, like they would only say some of the racist and hateful stuff to me because they thought yes. that we were on the same team or whatever. Right. And so not only, you know, do we not necessarily know who we're offending or whatever, but it shouldn't, it should be deeper than that, right? Like we should want to be more, we should want to be operating in a way that's more than just, oh gee, I don't want to offend somebody, right? We should see one another regardless of differences, full humans that we share this world with that, that bring value, not who are part of different tribes or, you know, whatever, so to speak, um, and not just hiding our beliefs because we, might offend somebody, but actually having beliefs about people that see their real value. And those are things, you know, the industry has a bad reputation in this regard. And in a lot of ways, it's earned, um, unfortunately, right? And what we hope to represent at Uncommon is a different way forward in that regard. And we want to be able to show that it's possible to protect against some of those mindsets and not have it be part of our work. So what made you decide to start Uncommon? What prompted you to start it? Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it, if I'm being honest, is like, I I didn't know where else I should go to work, what else I could do that kind of brought my experiences together. It sort of hit me as a, an, a like an epiphany kind of moment. And I, you know, I dropped out of college, we talked about that I came to New Orleans as a Red Cross volunteer, I went on to learn construction at the day labor company or get exposure to construction at the day labor company. Then I joined AmeriCorps. National Service Organization brought me back to New Orleans in the Gulf working in the rebuilding effort so I could apply that construction experience to a sense of altruism Mm -hmm. and make an impact in that way. Through that AmeriCorps experience, I worked with Habitat for Humanity here in New Orleans. I realized what I loved about working at Habitat was teaching people in an interesting environment, right? Showing them what they can do and coordinating people, pedestrian people for a collective impact. That was like really fun. So I went back to school at Tulane, got my degree real quick. And then I joined Teach for America and became a teacher, a middle school reading and social studies teacher in Colorado. Wow. But, you know, the classroom, like I said, didn't work for me. And it wasn't working for me as a teacher. And I could tell it wasn't working for my students. So I started thinking differently about what is a classroom? What should it look like? What should it feel like? What should our relationship be to the classroom as teachers and as students? And what's wrong with that dynamic in and of itself? a teacher and their students, right? So at Uncommon, we have a different relationship with the walls of our classrooms because our our students build and own it together as part of a team, as we build a house together. And our teachers aren't really teachers, we're co-workers with our apprentices. Mm -hmm. We all share a responsibility for getting the job done together. 
and we're all learning because even as a facilitator, as a teacher on a job site, I'm learning things and new ways of doing things and discovering different ways to use my hammer or whatever to problem solve. And I'm able to collaborate alongside our young people because we all have a shared goal of getting this phase of construction a day or doing whatever. So it just sort of hit me, you know, like bringing all my experience together. What does that look like as a job? Does that job exist? And it turns out it doesn't really. Some of the other models that sort of look like ours or sound like ours don't quite hit the nail on the head from an equity perspective or happen at the right time for young people to create that idea of that exposure at a critical moment for them before it's too late. Don't necessarily present career opportunities in the trades with elevated prestige, still sort of subscribing to that, like you're relegated to a volunteer experience or, you know, you're not being paid and should be grateful for the experience or whatever. And they don't guarantee high out, like successful outcomes as a result in the way that, you know, our model has proven to over the years. With the exception of of a couple times during COVID, we've retained over 80% of the young people who've who've enrolled in our program. And 100% of young people who've completed our program have graduated on time or are on track to graduate on time. And of those graduates, 100% continue their education or get a job within three months of graduating. Oh, nice. You know, like that won't be true for us forever. We're a new organization, we're growing and we experience challenges the way anyone else does. But there's some proof of concept points in the way that we're different from youth build or a regular internship or, you know, just a career technical credential program that's taught potentially by your high school gym teacher, right? We're out in the world. There's a real value proposition, a return on investment for our young people. They see it as more real. So they're invested in a more real way. And the industry responds because they see that it's a lot more tangible. It's a lot more applicable to the actual thing that they need these young people to do once they graduate high school, which is be an excellent employee that they want to invest in and keep for the long term. So anyway, that was a long kind of way around to why did I want to start Uncommon? I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, I get to bring a lot of my experiences together into this role, into this organization. And that over the last five, six, seven years, you know, we've been able to develop it into a, a real, you know, a program that's really aligned to understand the intersection of multiple problems that are being experienced by students, by teachers, by schools, by industries and employers in a way that, you know, is really kind of like laser focused on that. And that's not to say that every one of our kid goes into the industry, right? About 50, 60% of our young people say that they want to go into the industry. About 50, 50 are workforce versus college after they graduate. We understand that there's a diverse need in the industry. But while about 50 or 60% of our applicants say they want to go into the industry, about 80% or more of our graduates are going into the industry. So we're converting young people Mm -hmm. to consider careers into the trades as a viable option for them that they can be excited about where they see opportunities and can see themselves. And that's part of the real work that has to get done in order to diversify the workforce, create the kinds of situations that you and I were just talking about, right? Yes. Now, also, are there different job opportunities? Because if you're getting 80% I would imagine that you're educating them on, because there's always a stereotype that if you're in construction, you're digging a ditch or you're, and that's not true. There are a lot of different careers in construction that people are not aware of. Are you showing them multiple avenues and multiple careers? Totally. I mean, we want to, first of all, we want to model, you know, it's, we're always working towards this, but we want to model the kind of construction company that we would like to see in the world. We haven't always lived up to that value because it's hard, Mm -hmm. right? The industry exists the way that it exists. And we're just a small fish in a David Goliath kind of battle against it. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, in the way that we all our employees are W two and not 1099, we have comprehensive wellness and retirement and you know healthcare packages and so on. We have paid time off and we invest in community building activities and all that kind of stuff in the ways that we would like to see more construction companies do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. But because we are at our core just a construction company, we're a licensed insured general contractor, we have the opportunity to engage our young people in every phase of what's involved in being that kind of company. So if we have the capability of doing it, there's a learning opportunity for our young people. Mm -hmm. So as a real estate developer, we purchase vacant lots and engage with architect. So we engage with realtors to purchase vacant lots. We engage with title companies to go to closings. We engage with architects to adapt our construction drawings for new conditions on each different site. You know, we have plumbers, we have electricians, we have HVAC contractors, we have sheetrockers, we have, you know, interior designers in our network. So if a young person expresses an interest, the problem is they just don't have exposure. So you don't know what's out there. You don't know that the job even exists because you never, like me when I was a kid, because you don't know what there is. You don't know what's on the menu. And so through Uncommon, you get awareness, you get exposure in this really high depth, intense real world learning environment. So we can call in one of those realtors. We can call in a plumber. We can ask our electrician if a young person can shadow them for the day. And so there are all kinds of opportunities to differentiate instruction based on the interest of those individual young people, because the job site is our classroom, the construction documents is our textbook, the act of sale is a primary source document, Mm. right? We have a lot of opportunities to activate all of these things because of the unique intersection that we sit in as a company, Mm. right? And we don't do the same thing every semester, right? We have a young person who's real interested in being a lawyer, Awesome. Have you ever thought of being a title attorney or, you know, helping with contract law for a large construction company or like we have lawyers on, uh, we have (laughs) letters with lawyers, like we have accountants who support our work, right? So we have those resources. We want to make those accessible to young people, learn by doing mentality, right? Also what I like, you know, I don't know if you follow Gary V, uh, Gary Vanderchuk. he always talks about tastings and you know, I've changed careers in my life and it's perfectly normal. And I, and I talk to young people, I tell them, you're going to have six to seven different careers. So why not go in and try something now in high school? Go taste it, see what it's like. You might like it, you might not like it. And that's why some of the young people that are going through your program, they're going on to stay in the profession. Some people are moving to a different profession, but at least they know. And that's what I, that's where I really see the value is because if you've gotten a taste of something at 16, you've done something for, I don't know, even if you've done it for a year, you're going to have a pretty good idea of, eh, it's for me or it's not. It's for me or not. Yeah. Try before you buy, right? And like, and, and it's worth noting, right? I mentioned our 80% retention, right? Like we get twice as many applications as we have positions for. So, you know, there's some attrition in that process. Kids change their mind and that's important, but it's a real opportunity to apply for a job. And then of those 20% that we don't retain, that's either an intentional resignation or an intentional termination, sure. right? For the most part. Yes. Because we, it's, it's better to get, to quit or get fired from us before, while well, the stakes yeah, are low. Exactly. And I had exactly that experience that you're describing when I worked at the day labor company, right? Like I was at a different job almost every day or every other day until I got something steady. I worked at a PVC pipe making company where I was just loading all of the little plastic pellets into the hopper all day. I worked at a cheese factory where I was stacking 50 pound blocks of cheese, taking them out of the cardboard box and 
putting them in a new stack yeah. for a forklift to take them away. I was picking up trash on job sites. I was digging ditches. I was on a concrete crew. I did, you know, I got to see all kinds of stuff yes. by sampling things, yes. right? And that's what the Daily Labor Company gave to me. A Spear Workforce. I don't even know if they're still out there, but I owe them a lot. Stacy and Tina, wherever they are, just awesome people. And they, they brought me in. I got to try a lot of things. AmeriCorps then gave me the same thing from the nonprofit lens. I got to work at Habitat. I got to work at other places. I got to work for state parks and fix up old cabins. I got to like do all kinds of cool things in different places. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, now I'm at Uncommon. I happen to have founded Uncommon and it it's aligned with a lot of my experiences, but I'm in a role now where I can be a little more self-actualized in like what my daily work is what skills and value I have to offer, being able to put that out into the world through my job, Yes. right? In a way that supports my life, my new baby, my partnership, my, you know, living my life here in New Orleans and so on, and feeling a sense of satisfaction from the work that I put into the nine to five, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. Try before you buy. Yes. Quit early, like quit things if it's not right and go out and try something if you're able to before you're locked in. And, and even if you are locked in, right? career switch is awesome. I think that's really, really important. Definitely. And another thing I would say that I think that is a benefit to young people is they can get up and go. You can go work in a different city because construction is everywhere. Like Nevada, I'm sure is growing. Like, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, that's. Yeah, man. I mean, it was Boomtown when I was there and, you know, New Orleans, the work's never going to stop here. Our biggest challenge is coastal restoration and protection and the biggest jobs need Mm -hmm. for our infrastructure is carpentry and construction, right? Definitely. There's, it's all there. And, you know, the trades have shown me a lot. They've given me a lot. They've given me friendship. They've given me income, taught me valuable life lessons. But they've also shown me the world. Yes. I, a job, one job I've had that I didn't mention was, was with a company that took high school students on experiential education trips in 22 different countries around the world. Wow. So I got to spend two summers, you know, working on construction type projects with high schoolers in Southeast Asia, going from Vietnam to Thailand to Laos. And I got to see a whole different part of the world in a way that I never would have seen before because I know, you know, that stairs should be 7-Eleven and that a roof pitch is rise over run. And because I have a handful of hours on a job site, you know, the trades will show you the world. There's all kinds of construction companies in this country that bid out jobs regionally and will pay you a per diem Mm -hmm. to go travel to where that job is. And you're making on top of prevailing wage, which is like $40, $50 an hour in some places with overtime after eight hours. So in California, you're making like 100 bucks an hour, you know, to work eight hours a day or, or, or if you get overtime. Plus, you're getting a per diem of, you know, 40 to whatever, 80 bucks a day to pay for your accommodations by leaving home. People are getting rich off of these opportunities. You know, some people are squandering it, right? But there's the opportunity. This is a really lucrative career pathway if you can stick with it. And it gives you the opportunity to see all kinds of stuff that's out there. Meet people who are different from you. Like I said, it's shown me the world and it'll continue to do so because I have experience there and my network has expanded. Yeah, that's true. So that I know people who are doing this, this and that and I can get a job. You know, when I came back to New Orleans to start Uncommon Construction, it was like if this nonprofit doesn't work out, I've got my tools, I've got my truck, and I've got the years of experience that have gotten me to this point. I'm a journeyman carpenter in the truest sense of the word. And I know that I can, I had confidence that I could find my way either on my own job site or on someone else's because of what the trades have given me, right? And I got to believe that anybody who could travel to a different country and adapt to a different country and go work there, 
can handle anything in America. Nothing. <laughs> I, come on. You worked in Southeast Asia in a completely different country. There's nothing that... Well, I was working for like an American... I was working for a Western company with mostly Western students. And then we had like local counterparts. Okay. So we were sort of matched up with coworkers who were local staff. But you're right. I mean, you're totally out of your comfort zone. It's like here I'm used to steel-toed boots and there we're working in flip-flops. Here you call the concrete truck to deliver at a certain time. And there we're mixing sand, cement, and aggregate. And so it was just a real, it's really, really cool. You take your baseline of what you understand about what happens here, you apply it in a completely different context. But it like those experiences have made me such a more full version of myself open to more than just my daily context. And, you know, we all have our biases that we operate in on a day to day and whatever, but, you know, my mental models my world has expanded because of those experiences and, you know, construction will take you there and it'll take you there on a ground, on the ground level, which I think is just really cool. It's not, you know, working. The flip side of that is like working for Google and having internet meetings with people around the world and whatever, all that's very arm's length, right? Working in a coding company that does graphic design and outsources projects to India, like, that feels very removed in terms of the human experience, which is something that I really think young people are hungry for, especially coming off of the pandemic. Yes. Quarantining is connecting to people in a one-to-one -one way, in a human way. And in my experience, it's like, hey, this thing is heavy. Can you help me lift it and carry it over there? Is like just a very core human human connection, authentic way to connect with people. And I agree 100%. Also, a lot of young people don't like sitting in a classroom doing theory. People like to move around. I know for myself, I was that type of kid when I was growing up. I didn't want to just sit down. I, I you know, my, my background is sales and you move around in sales and you deal with all kinds of different people. And that, that appeals to me. I would imagine a lot of students, young people, not everybody wants to sit in a classroom and just which kind of speaks to what you're saying with the pandemic of people wanting to be around each other. Totally. Yeah. And we need more of that, you know, and that's how we build empathy, right? That's how we build relationships. So we build understanding. That's how we build, you know, a different kind of, of workplace environment. And like you said, like we started this conversation, we all become better as a result. Definitely. So I wanted to ask you something about, I know that you and I connected through LinkedIn. Can you talk about the importance of having an online presence, particularly as young people start to build up their careers and they want more opportunities because when employers look for you, they're going to, they don't just show up at your door. They're, they're going to try and find you on, online most likely. Yeah. I mean, you might get recruited because you're out there. I mean, you know, some, I get messages from recruiters on LinkedIn for jobs that I don't want sure. because I'm in this role, but it happens, right? Just by putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. I really like, you know, my way of doing things is I keep my, my personal life, my private life private. I don't put all that stuff out there, you know, or mostly private or whatever. I should kind of share selectively. But my professional self is is out there. And that's how we I build relationships. That's how I choose to live my life. I don't necessarily want to mix it to it's not necessarily that I'm hiding anything about my professional life. I just choose not to live it in public all the time, right? Yes. And so that's one way that I manage my like online presence. But I think it's it's definitely, you know, people have told it to me before, like you have to own your personal brand. You know, you have to kind of like have control over your own narrative. What comes up when people Google you? What are, What's your profile picture? What's your, you know, LinkedIn handle? Like, do you have expletives or like swear words, whatever in your profile? You know, do you have, how are you presenting yourself out in the world? And 
understanding that the world is having to compromise a little bit to what our 1950s mostly white mentality has been about what what the standard should be. Like, I, I think that needs to change for sure. But also to crack that ceiling, we got to get into the room to start. And so we got to be able to be heard by people who have power and who set the set the rules. So, you know, I'm out there on LinkedIn, I'm out there on, on Facebook a little bit. And yeah, having it, what we do at Uncommon is we know like you need to have a resume. It's helpful to have a LinkedIn profile. I have this like kind of dream of like all our apprentices are going to have LinkedIn profiles and then we're going to be a construction company with like 50 employees who are like we're a small construction company and like all of our employees on LinkedIn are teenagers and we're their first work experience that they list on LinkedIn. You know, that's something that's really cool and something that we see more and more of. I will say it's not common in the construction industry because we're you know, we're not coaching young people in the trades to think about having a digital presence or think that their work involves, you know, digital platforms because it's only exists in the field. But we most folks have smartphones. Most folks kind of live their lives in or a lot of folks live their lives with one foot online and one foot in the real world. And so as an employer, you know, if someone applies and they don't have a resume or they're hard to find because they're not on digital platforms in an increasingly digital world and digital economy. Construction industry has spaces that are there, even though we exist in the world. It can't just be, oh, my uncle recommended me for this job, or I used to work for my neighbor down the street, and they own this company or that company. Like your way to get into the industry has to change from just who you know. Sure. And so, yeah, I think it's super important to have an online presence, to be on LinkedIn, to put your resume out there, see what you find. Job applications are online. That's true. You know, we got to have digital literacy, 21st century literacy looks more than just like knowing how to code. Mm -hmm. It looks like being able to create a LinkedIn profile from your smartphone, knowing where you can get free Wi-Fi if you don't have it at home, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. I also believe that having proof that you are good at what you do, not just saying it. So when I, when I talk about the online profile, I feel like one of the things that helps people, no matter what industry they're in, is if there's some kind of proof that this person knows what they're doing. I feel like that. That's yeah, man, we're big. Like, especially in the industry, it's like the eyeball test, right? Yes. So when we ask people to apply for a job, which we have positions posted, if there's anybody out there, like you have to live in New Orleans, be a high school student to be an apprentice. So we haven't expanded nationwide yet, but if there are any funders who want to help make that happen, who are listening, would be happy to chat with you guys about that. There's a form on our website. We're hiring staff positions, you know, and our application is online. There's an opportunity to mail it in or whatever, but it's a lot faster and unfortunately more competitive in this economy to be able to submit online. And for our online application, we ask you to send us a picture of a project that you completed. I want to see something that you've built. I like that. That makes right? sense. And I want you to tell me what your role was. And it doesn't mean that you have to have been the main person who was in charge, but I want you to be able to tell me about this bookcase that you built or this house that you built and what, you know, send a picture of it. It's the eyeball test. And we do that at Uncommon. We have, we take a lot of pictures. We make some videos. We want to show what our young people are capable I of. I agree. I agree. Because like you said, people don't necessarily believe it till they see it. I agree. I agree. Um, because we have other conceptions about that. Yeah. I know people who've gotten opportunities from videos. I, I did a um, day in the life interview with an individual and they said they got, they were contacted for job opportunities after doing that day in the life interview, but they were really knowledgeable. They were talking about their industry and what they were doing. And they were just, you know, you could watch some people on video and you're like, wow, this guy's sharp. And so I do believe that showing know-how, not just knowledge, showing that you know how to do the work 
it just makes it easier for an employer. If I'm looking through a stack of resumes and I see a video and I see this person can do the job, to me, it just allows them to stand out a little bit more. Yeah, it used to be like one of the pieces of advice I got from a, an old-timey carpenter. I feel like we've been a little ageist in this conversation, so I apologize to everybody for that. And talking about young people and older folks in the industry, like I have learned so much from people who have have spent a lot more time on job sites than me. This guy that I learned from was basically like, you know, the carpenter test or the job test is like show up on a job site and tell them that their first day is free, that, you know, you'll work for the first day if you like it. Today is free. Offer me a job. Or if you don't like it, pay me for the day. You'll never hear from me again or some version of that. Right. Um, Because you want to try people out. You want to see if your working styles are the same. You want to see if they can read that tape measure, use a circular saw, whether they're the kind of carpenter who pins their guard back or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we had talked about doing is like having a person build their own sawhorses. Saw horses are a carpenter's desk. So if you want to come out and try out a day with us, like, you know, an uncommon if we're trying you out on the build site, it might be sawhorses, it might be doing something else. We're going to have one thing that you do independently. That's sort of like a test run to see how you build it, how you problem solve, how you do it. And if you can build, you know, something relatively simple, like a pair of sawhorses, something like that, and you go through it on your own, they're good, they work, whatever. It tells us more about what you can do next if you can do that, right? So yeah, I mean, we do it also, right? Like what is your, what's your skill set? And it's it's tough to test just on a resume and it's tough to see, you know, just in a conversation. So we definitely do want to like, you know, have sort of a project-based component to that. And we're seeing more and more of that in the way construction companies are hiring as well. And I think in some ways that's why they value what they see at Uncommon because they're seeing our young people are coming out, they're actually building something. They have opportunities to see it happening. Mm-hmm in real time to meet our young people on the job site and to actively recruit from our cohorts. And so, you know, there's that kind of eyeball test is happening through our program, which we think is important. Yeah, because at the end of the day, for most jobs, the biggest challenge, I would say, is everybody wants to make sure, we want to make sure the person can actually do the work. That's kind of, you know, that's it's a requirement. And people need proof because sometimes there are people who will who will falsely represent themselves and say, yeah, I can do it. I mean, I've had it with my business in terms of technology. People are like, yes, I can do that. And then I start asking some questions or show me something. And then you've discovered that they really can't do that. And that's why I feel like it's important. If you have that proof right up front when I look you up, which most people are going to do, they're going to, I, I talk to a lot of employers and they say they look at, they're looking for proof that you can do the job before they yeah. bring you in. I mean, we there's a lot of talk about like equity and hiring practices, right? Yes. Like we have... We pay some applicants. We have a, a, a rig- rigorous vetting process for new employees, mm-hmm. right? But we also pay them for the time they spend in our application. Oh, wow. Once they reach a certain point. Okay. So if we invite you to come out for a build day because we want to see how you operate on the job site. We pay you okay. for that day, whether we offer you the job or not. Wow, that's amazing. Um, we, but we also have like a take-home assignment. If your, job, if your position you're applying for isn't, job site focused, maybe it's in fundraising or it's in administrative or whatever, or give you a project to take home and return it back to us that's reflective of the job that we're hiring you to do, because we want to see how you actually do it. We also want you to understand what the day-to-day work of this position might actually be. And we understand that like by having a long, kind of a drawn out hiring process, we may lose some people because other places are faster and they're hiring quicker, but hopefully we're finding people who are, are going to stick around or who are a better fit, you know, long-term. But we also want to like communicate to those applicants that we value the time that we're asking you to put in on this application because 
you know, that's not fair, right? If if you've got someone who's between jobs yeah. and you're asking them to do four hours of work for free for a job they might not get, like yeah. that sucks. Yeah, that, that's a morality issue. I get that. That makes sense. And you guys have 80% retention. So you're doing you're doing something right, you know, and, and I like the fact that you focus on the hands-on, prove that you can do the work because no one can argue that. They're going to know, hey, yes, I did it. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't, I mean, what are you going to say? Like, if you can't do the work, you know, you can't. And do it, it also shows us like it, it doesn't, your performance on those take home things, apprentices don't do a take home task or, or we have other ways of checking like along the way. We understand they're applying for a learning position, right? Yes. But even if someone is applying for a staff position, if their if their work isn't like 100% perfect, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't get the job, but it helps inform us of like what professional development might we invest in this person who's a great fit in other ways what early professional development might we offer in order to help them get to the place that they need to be quicker in terms of like being a fit for this role? So it doesn't necessarily mean they don't get the job. It just means, you know, it helps us be a better employer if and when they have the job, if they don't, if they don't turn in. So you know the role. areas that you're going to have to work on to develop this particular employee, which is smart, you know? Yeah, we don't have to learn it on the job, right? Yeah. We want to. And it's all about support, right? It's not necessarily because our relationship, like we have this kind of entrenched way of thinking that employee, employer are adversarial in some way or whatever. And like, that's not it. Like we want people, you know, we all want to be striving for the same thing. Anyway, this is like, has been a really awesome conversation. We've gone like away from where our apprenticeship program is like employment in general. And, you know, as an organization who is trying to introduce the next generation through their first work experience. I think that's an important conversation that we can be involved in. So I appreciate all these questions about that stuff. Definitely. Final question. What is your vision for Uncommon Construction and what does success look like for you guys? Man, that's kind of always changing. I mean, in the beginning, success for Uncommon Construction was that we continued to exist and that we figured out our program. You know, we started on a shoestring budget. I didn't know any millionaires who could just help us start the program and give us a year of strategic planning, like all of our learning of how to build this program pretty much happened on job sites and in the world as it exists. Right. So, you know, I mean, our biggest vision is like, you know, I don't know, you know, we don't necessarily get to scale by working with every young person in new Orleans. Um, Although we'd like to work with more young people in new Orleans with a different, with differentiated programming, you know, we have, it seems like every week or every other week, someone reaches out to us about opening an affiliate in their hometown. So, you know, we believe in terms of scale, we believe in the in the power and impact of a small but highly effective, like a large network of small but highly effective programs in cities that are experiencing these challenges in terms of workforce, housing, education systems. And so we're, we're having conversation and doing some pilots around replicating our program in new cities. So if anybody is anybody out there in the world is, is interested in that, there's a replication inquiry form. Um, unfortunately, you know, your ability to help finance that is important for our ability to do that. But we want to be having those conversations and, and having more stakeholders in more locations can help us make the case to other strategic partners or funders about where the need exists and making investments and scale in that way. So, you know, we want to follow where the need is, but we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always changing. So deepening our impact here in New Orleans with more more young people and more differentiated programming, as well as, you know, potentially expanding to new locations, seeing how our model, our unique model of workforce development applies in different contexts. Those are kind of like two things that I think we want to see. And success looks different 
in the way we measure it across all those different initiatives. Definitely. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast, Continued Success. Please say how people can find your organization. Awesome. We would love to meet you guys. Um, hit us up on social media, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at UCC NOLA. Go to our website, www.uncommonconstruction.org. There are opportunities to donate, connect, check out some videos and photos like we were talking about, kind of see what we're about. You can subscribe to our newsletter there as well. Interested in meeting all the different folks who are out there. Aaron, thank you so much for your time again. You have a fantastic day. Awesome. Thanks so much, Keith. Loved the conversation. It was awesome. Enjoy it too. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.